886, I believe, and Lord willing, we're going to finish John chapter 1 this morning. We're going to bounce around quite a bit in the uh, passage this morning, so if you don't have a Bible, I do encourage you to grab one that's ahead of you in the pew, um, or fire one up on your iPad or on your phone or something, because we're going to be bouncing around quite a bit in the uh, chapter of John, John 1, and then in a couple of other chapters. So, um, 45 minutes or so in John 1, and then I'll pray. We'll save some time at the end for uh, reflection and repentance. John chapter 1, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read and then uh, we'll pray. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35 to the end of the chapter. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, fi- he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, come. Would you come and be with us this morning and give us a sight of your Son 
Lord, allow your servant to speak truthful words, words which accord to your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. And those with an earshot hear God's word. May it change us. May we rejoice in him. And may God be pleased to save those who need saving, heal those who need healing. Exalt your son and set our expectations of who he is from your word. This I pray for your praise and in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, it's Palm Sunday, so that's fantastic. Today is a day to celebrate the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. It's the Sunday before the resurrection. A couple of years ago, my friend Matt brought a live donkey to his church on Palm Sunday. Uh, He's always good at memorable illustrations like that. No donkey in our church this morning. The only thing you get are these wonderful palms that Kathy was kind enough to give us. Um, So maybe a donkey next year, but don't hold your breath. (laughs) Palm Sunday is a day for celebrating Jesus, celebrating who Jesus is. People on Palm Sunday, as we read at the opening, cut palm branches down and they waved them before the Lord as he came into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And they celebrated Jesus as the Messiah, the Messiah and the King. And while it was a day of celebration, it was also a day of celebration by a people who, in a matter of five days, would go from enthusiastic reception of Christ to vehement rejection of Christ in five days. On Sunday, Jesus was king of Israel. But on Friday, he was a criminal in five days. And the reason that happened was it turned out Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. Or he didn't do for them what he thought they would do for them. He didn't give them what they wanted, and that ought to be sobering for us. And so I don't think it's accidental that we're here in John chapter 1, and the Lord's very first words in the Gospel of John are these What are you seeking? The question reverberates today. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are your expectations of God in Christ? I could ask it another way. Why did you come to church today? What are you doing here? I I don't mean that to be off-putting, but I think it's an important question to be asking yourself. What do I hope to get out of this service right now? What are my expectations? 
Maybe you're here just purely out of curiosity. Someone invited you to church and you thought, all right, fine. If, you, if, you, if it'll keep you from bothering me, I'll go to church with you. Maybe you're here for that reason and that's okay. Maybe you're here seeking absolution from sin. You've had some sin in your life and you're seeking forgiveness for that sin. That's a good reason to come to church. Maybe you're here just because you're looking for the truth. Like, you know, what's right, what's not right. And, you know, is there absolute truth? And is the Bible true? That's a good reason to come and hear God's word. Maybe you're looking for purpose in your life, some kind of direction. Which way to go? You've got some decisions to make and you've got to figure that out. Maybe you're just here because you're looking for encouragement. You had a rough week. and need courage for next week. All of those are good reasons to come to church. So you should ask yourself, why am I here? What are my expectations? They matter a lot. Jesus is called by 10 different titles in John chapter 1. Nine of which appear in our passage alone. Nine titles of Jesus Christ. He's called Lamb of God and Teacher and Messiah. He's called the Fulfillment of Prophecy. He's called Jesus of Nazareth. He's called the Son of Joseph. He's called the Son of God. He's called the King of Israel. And lastly, he's called the Son of of man, nine different titles. It's as if John, the, the, the apostle John, the gospel writer, is showing us Jesus from nine different angles, calling us to come and see. See Jesus as God has revealed him in the Bible. So this should help to set our expectations. We ought to be very careful to get our expectations of what God is, of who God is in Christ from the Bible and from nowhere else. And here's why. Title of my sermon, kind of the, the, the summary of my sermon goes like this. I think, I think you may have it on the backside of your program. Our expectations of God in Christ and his benefits, which are infer- informed by anything but the Bible, will make us enemies of God. I'm going to say that again. Our expectations of God in Christ, which are informed by anything except for the scriptures alone, will disappoint us. And they will make us enemies of God. It'll take me a minute to get to that conclusion. But I think you'll see it as we stare at this passage before us. Palm Sunday is a, is a Sunday of, of celebration and, and joy. But it is also a serious matter. Everything hangs on this. Everything hangs on who Jesus is. You get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. But if you get Jesus right, everything is gain. So it's an important matter. And my hope this morning, with God's help, is to help us to set our expectations of who God is in Christ from the Bible and to dispel any unbiblical notions about who God is and what God does. Okay? So let's get to work. First, John, we're going to go, John chapter 1, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. John chapter 1, I told you we're going to be bouncing around. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is how John is showing us Jesus. And so, We're we're allowing the the Bible to inform our expectations about who God is. 
In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skip down to verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John has showed us that Jesus is the Word. He's the Word of God. We saw this a number of weeks ago. That means that Jesus is not just the messenger of God. Jesus is the message of God. He is God's word, God's self-disclosure of himself to us. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Then John says that Jesus is God at the end of verse 1. Then he goes down to verse 3 and he says that Jesus is the uncreated creator. Jesus Christ was not created. By all things, John is pretty clear that does not include Jesus. Jesus is uncreated. To be uncreated is to be infinite. To be infinite is to be God. Jesus is God. John couldn't be any clearer about that. Verse 14. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. The uncreated God of the universe became a man. He put on flesh. God came down to earth. He wrapped himself in in a human form. When we see Jesus, we are seeing the glory of God. Isn't that what he says? He's full of grace, full of truth. So if you are one of those ones who are here today because you're looking for grace, forgiveness of sins, absolution of your sins, you will find it in Jesus. He's full of grace. He's also full of truth. So if you're one of the ones here trying to balance what's right, the Bible says Jesus is full of truth. You'll find truth in Jesus. Skip down to verse 18. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So if you want to know something, or if you want to know anything about God, you you look at Jesus, because Jesus is the one who has made God known. What God is like, what does God think like, what does God talk like, what is important to God, you find it in Jesus. He has made him known. Known. God has disclosed himself in Jesus. It's kind of like when you call a big company, like you call customer service at a big company, and you know you call and you get the phone tree, right? And usually you have to say what you're after, and it hardly understands what you're saying, and it directs you to the wrong person, and they have to put you through to the right person. You go back into the tree again, and you press one for this, and if you want this, you press two, but if you want to go this place, you press three. 
Well, what that means in terms of the Bible is no matter what button you push, you land at Jesus. Jesus picks up the phone. If you want to know what God is like, you push one, you find Jesus. You push two, you find Jesus. Any number you push, Jesus. Jesus is a self-disclosure of God. He has made him known. Go down to verse 27. Even he who comes after me, this is John the baptizer speaking, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The Bible says that John the baptizer was the greatest man who ever lived. And even John says, this Jesus is greater than me. He's so much greater than me. I don't even, I don't even, I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off. That's how much greater he is than the greatest man who ever lived. Keep going. Verse 29. The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. John is showing us Jesus is the Lamb of God. Simich calls back to the sacrificial system where they offered up animals for sin, to atone for sin. At an altar and they would sacrifice the animal and his blood would be poured out on the altar and burned up on the altar for sin. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. His death on the cross on Good Friday was the ultimate atonement for sin. The Bible says that bulls and goats and pigeons and the blood of animals, it only ever covered over sin. It couldn't take sin away. But John says specifically here, Jesus Christ takes it away. It's gone forever. The blood of animals could only cover sin. But Jesus takes sin away. Those who trust in Jesus, sin is gone. God, you'll stand before God and your sin will not be held against you because of the cross. This is why Christians get so excited about Easter Sunday. Because when the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead early on Sunday morning, we were raised to new life with him. And now we live outside of and untouchable by the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin anymore. He's broken the chains. Sin doesn't have power over us and sin does not have a a right to penalty in us. Skip down to verse 33. This is John the baptizer again. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, he means God. God said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So here's what we see about Jesus. God foretold Jesus. He told John the baptizer, whoever you see the the spirit descend and remain, that's my son, and that's the one that will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So what we learn from this is that Jesus Christ baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So then John goes on, verse 34. And I have seen and have bore witness, this is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And now we come to our passage. That was your introduction. Now we come to our passage. This is how John, the gospel writer John, has revealed Jesus to us in our passage. Verse 38. He's called Rabbi. The title Rabbi it was a great 
title of honor. One who teaches God's word. A rabbi would garner disciples around himself and he would teach them the Bible and he would teach them his manner of life. They would live with him for a period of time. Jesus Christ is revealed to us as a teacher of God's law and a a teacher of us of of God's ways. Move down to verse 41. Andrew first found his own brother Simon. And look how Andrew describes Jesus. Simon, listen, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Messiah is the English uh, transliteration of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is the, um, f- the, from the Greek, it's Christ. By the way, uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not like Joseph and Mary Christ had Jesus Christ. Okay, it's, it's his title. It means the anointed one, the Messiah, come from the Greek. The Jewish people in the first century and also the Jewish people in our day have an expectation of the coming Messiah. And they expect that the Messiah will come, he'll be a man that comes from God, and he will establish a government in Israel, and Israel's government will, will, will rule all other world governments. And uh, the Jewish government and the Gentile government will all be under one banner. This is what the Messiah will come and do. And he will establish worship in the temple. And uh, he will uh, establish Jewish law across the land. This is what the Jews were expecting of the Messiah. That's what the Jews expect of the Messiah today. And the reason they believe this, they didn't make this up. This came from the scriptures. It came from the Old Testament scriptures. The Bible says that this is what the Messiah will do. Moses and the prophets foretold of this, and that explains to us why Philip says what he says in verse 45. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip tells Nathanael that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, he's the one Moses wrote about. He's the one the prophets spoke. This Messiah. This is, he's the fulfillment of prophecy. He's going to do what we thought he would do from the scriptures. Nathaniel can't believe that. Nathaniel's like, from Nazareth? Are you serious? From Michigan? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Then Nathaniel meets Jesus, verse 47 and 48. Jesus calls him an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said, hey, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. The Lord saw Nathaniel before Philip went to him. Cornerstone, this is no mere man. Jesus not only saw Nathaniel before he met him, Jesus saw into Nathaniel before he met him. This is an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile, no deceit. He saw into Nathaniel, he saw Nathaniel's situation, he saw Nathaniel's heart. 
Jesus knew Nathanael before Nathanael knew Jesus. The same can be said of everyone in this room. Before you came here, Jesus saw you. Before you became a Christian, Jesus saw you. He knew you. He knew you on the inside. He knew you on the outside. He knows your internal condition. He knows your external. He knows your bank account. He knows. He knows the messes you've made. He knows the condition of your heart. He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. Friends, Jesus knows the wounds you've inflicted on others. He knows the wounds others have inflicted on you. He knows the burden you carry. Friend, you're not hiding anything from Jesus. He's not fooled. You can fool me. You put on a mask. You put on Christianese language. You speak the right way. You say the right things. You bounce up and down during worship. You, you swing your arms during prayer. You're going to fool me. You're not fooling Jesus. He knows what's going on on the inside. He knows your temptations. He knows your arrogance. He knows your pride. He knows your prejudice. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He knows your prejudice. And listen very carefully. He knows it. And he chose you anyway. He saw all your stuff and he chose you anyway. Isn't it interesting? When the Lord meets Nathaniel, seeing in the inside of his heart, he doesn't even bring up Nathaniel's prejudice. He doesn't even bring it up at all. Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Doesn't bring it up. I think this means Nathaniel's a straight shooter. In whom there is no guile. That's how it's in the old Bible. He's a guy who tells it like it is. And the Lord saw Nathaniel externally, internally, and looks at him. And he sees his sin. He sees the vile prejudice. And he chooses him. You see, we don't have to get cleaned up before we come to Jesus. You just come to Jesus and he cleans you up. That's not all this passage teaches us about how the Lord sees us. If you go back up to verse 42, we learn that the Lord sees us externally and he sees us internally, but the Lord also sees us as we will be. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at Simon and he said, you're Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas. It may not seem like much on this. Actually, it does seem like a lot on the surface. It's weird, right? Like if you walk up to a stranger, like if I introduce myself to a stranger, hi, my name is Jamie. 
Hi, you are Jamie, son of Ed. From now on, you shall be called Frank. That's weird, right? You're going to change my name. I don't even know you. My dad gave me my name. My dad named me Jamie. Actually, named me Jeremiah. And everybody calls me. Then he calls me Jamie, and it confuses everyone, including me, especially the BMV. My dad chose my name. You don't get to change my name. Dads change names. Well, some dads do. I wanted to name Ethan Bear. Got told no. I wanted to name Lily Whitfield after George Whitfield. Just thought it was a great name for a little girl. Turns out my wife did not agree. So trying to figure that one out. But who has the right to change your name? No one does unless you're God, I guess. So, so, so Peter, so Simon meets Jesus and Jesus says, you're not Simon anymore. You're Peter. There's more. Underneath that, names mean things. Especially in the first century, names meant things. The, words, the, the name Simon uh, came from the Hebrew, Shema'an, which means one who hears. And Cephas, Peter, means rock. Now, if it, those of you who are familiar with your Bible, you know the problem with that, don't you? Simon was not a rock. This is the disciple that denied Jesus three times, once in front of a teenager. He called down, he called down curses on himself because he was afraid. He was a coward. Simon was a coward. Jesus looks at him and he says, you're a rock. The word picture is something strong, not something weak, something steady. Not something insecure. It was not a nickname. It was an identity change. He became a rock. You know that. Simon, who is called Peter, became the Apostle Peter. And after the resurrection, he changed. He became a bulwark. A pillar in the church, a preacher of the gospel, a writer of the New Testament, and a martyr for the faith. You see, the Lord Jesus saw Simon as he was. He saw Simon as he is, and he saw Simon as he will be. The point is, Jesus sees us on the outside, he sees us on the inside, and the Lord sees us as he will make us. Back to Nathaniel. He meets Jesus. He's astonished. And look how he describes the Lord in verse 49. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Three titles. Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel. Rabbi, we've already seen. Son of God, we've already seen. But this last one, the new title. This one's an interesting one. King of Israel. I don't know how Nathaniel knew that. But it's an interesting time because in that day, Nathaniel's day, they didn't have kings. Israel didn't have a king in the first century. They were ruled over by the Roman government. They didn't have a king. 
So for Nathanael to say, this is the king of Israel. Some dangerous words. Because I don't know if you know anything about kings, but they don't like other kings in their kingdom. That's why Jesus was almost killed as a baby. So it's a staggering claim. I don't know what Nathanael was expecting Jesus to be. But he calls him king of Israel. And this is where this passage connects us to Palm Sunday. So if you have your Bible still open before you, I invite you to point to chapter 12. John chapter 12. John 12 is day one of Holy Week. It is the day we're celebrating today. We call it Palm Sunday because of what we're about to read. The Bible tells us that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the first day of the week. That's a Sunday. And he is crucified on Friday. He's hung on the cross somewhere around noon and he dies somewhere around 3 p.m. And then raised to life early on Sunday morning. Verse 12, John 12, 12. The next day... The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches, branches from palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the crowds gather and they take palm branches, sort of like the ones in your seats, and they wave them before the Lord. And they quote from Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is a Hebrew word, which means save us. Save us! The crowd is taking a psalm, Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm, a psalm prophesying of the coming Messiah, the king who would set up his throne in government. They're taking that psalm, written about God's Messiah, and applying it to Jesus. And they say, save us. Save us. Put yourself there, won't you? Along the streets. A Jewish man, olive skin, beard, long hair maybe, wearing a toga on the back of a donkey, and he's paraded through the streets of Jerusalem, and people all along and all aside you, three or four deep, are waving palm branches before him, singing, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he, it's rejoicing! It's the king! is here! He's come! It's, it's momentous. Fast forward five days. Same Jesus. Same people. Same city. 
John chapter 19. Five days later, the Lord Jesus, by this point, is arrested, betrayed, put on trial. He's found guiltless by the Roman officials. They beat him, flog him, twist together a crown of thorns, smash it on his head, and wrap his bloody Back and torso in a purple robe, and they mock him. Prophesy, king, tell us who's hitting you. But even Pilate, pagan Pilate, doesn't want Jesus dead. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Interesting words from the same people who declared, Behold, the king of Israel. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, And sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, interesting phrasing. Behold, Jews, your king. And they cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said, You want me to crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. Five days before these events, He's the Savior. He's the King of Israel. And now, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify this man. What changed in five days? Might I suggest unmet expectations. The crowds wanted a military king, and when they realized Jesus wouldn't be that, when they realized that Jesus wasn't going to set up Israel as the center of the, of the world's government, when they realized they wouldn't get the benefits from him that they thought they would get, they turned on him. And they became enemies of God. Their applause became opposition. The crowd wanted glory from their king. But their king gave them grace. The the crowd wanted power. Like the Romans. 
But their king gave them peace with their God. They wanted fire. But he gave forgiveness. This is because the Lord Jesus knew their bigger need. Their bigger need, friends, was not government, governmental power. Their bigger need was peace with God. And that's true of all of us. Our biggest need is peace with our creator. So whatever you're looking for out of Jesus, the thing you need most is peace with your creator. Everyone in this room has committed holy treason. And you are bent for hell. Unless you are reconciled. You need peace with God more than you need a good paying job. You need peace with God more than you need a sense of direction in your life. More than you need courage. More than you need healing. More than you need a better relationship. More than you need a healthy marriage. You need peace with God. And this is why Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. He would make peace between God and sinners. Jesus gave his own sinless life as a payment for the ransom for sinners like you and I. He paid the price to reconcile sinners to God. And to set us free from the slavery of sin. That's what we need most of all. And the reality of that is implied back in chapter 1. This is where we'll wrap up. Go back to John chapter 1. One more thing John wants us to see about this man. Last two verses. Verse 50. Jesus answered Nathanael, because I saw you, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe now? You'll see greater things than these. And look at what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, which is plural in the Greek, I say to you all, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, Nathaniel seemed to me to be a guy who knew his Bible, so he probably caught these two references. There's two very important references that Jesus makes of himself in this verse 51. So we may need help. Let me see if I can help you a little bit. Two references to Jesus here, two revelations of who God is in Christ. The first is this. Jesus was referring to the patriarch, Jacob, You may remember from Genesis 28, I think, the patriarch Jacob laid his head down on a rock and he had a dream. Do you remember this dream? 
place called Bethel. He had a dream that there was a ladder. This ladder stretched all the way from earth up into heaven. And, and on this ladder, he saw angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder. And God was there with Jacob during this time. And God, in that moment, reaffirmed his covenant with his people. It's a very important time in Israel's history. A reaffirmation of God's covenant and God's promise. I'll be your God. I'll give you the promises. Critical time in Israel's history. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, you'll see the angels ascending and descending on me. Are you catching what Jesus is saying about himself in that, in that dream? I'm the ladder. That's me. Heaven and earth, they meet here in me. The angels of God, they descend in me. You want to meet God the way you get there? Through me. You don't see God outside of me. I'm Jacob's ladder. The second reference is even bigger. There's only one title in John chapter 1 that Jesus gives to himself. It's right here, verse 51. Son of man. It's the only of all of the ten titles of Jesus. It's the only one he gives to himself. It's his favorite title. He calls himself Son of Man something like 80 times in the Gospels. If we had the time, we'd go to Daniel chapter 7. You can read it this week if you like. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And you can read what, where this comes from. This is just, Jesus didn't make this up. He didn't just give himself a title. He's revealing who he is by taking a title. In Daniel chapter 7, the prophet Daniel has a vision where he sees who he calls the Ancient of Days, picture of God. And in this vision of the Ancient of Days, a man goes before the Ancient of Days. Daniel describes him as one like a son of man. And to that son of man is given dominion. The ancient of days takes the dominion of the universe and gives it to this man. All nations and tribes and tongues bow down and worship him. He has dominion over all. You understand when Jesus says the angels of heaven are descending on the son of man. He's saying I'm that son of man in Daniel 7. That's me. I have dominion over all the nations. All peoples, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people, every Turk, every Russian, every American, every Greek will worship me. I'm the son of man. And so you have a choice this morning. We're going to sing one more song. And during that song, you have a choice to make. What are you going to do with this? I think you have two options. One. 
John's a liar. Or he's deceived. Either way, John is deceiving you. Jesus is not these things. These are manufactured about a man who lived, great man probably. But he is deceiving you. That's one option. The other option is, he's the son of man of Daniel 7. And you're going to have to bow down and worship that man. Those are your only two options. You know, you're going you're to bow down and worship him either way. You can either do it in this life and go on to glory and eternity. Or you can do it in the next life in hell. You're going to bow down either way. My prayer and my hope is you do it today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing your son to us this morning. I pray that our expectations of who God is in Christ have been set, derived from here. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who has not yet bowed the knee and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Would you make it that they do it today? Give us grace as we sing. Give us grace to repent of our sins, to confess with our mouth, and to be forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray.